guys. Welcome back to the Colorful Plates podcast, your weekly source for what's happening in the produce and food service worlds. As always, we're going to kick off the podcast with our market reports, and this week we have two interviews from two mics. We'll start out with Mike McLeod, who is the president and CEO of World Food Championships. We're just going to give you a little bit of his interview, and the full interview will be posted on Thursday. With years of experience under his belt in the culinary industry and working in food sport, this chief evangelist of food sport definitely had a lot to say, and he loves to applaud chefs for their great efforts in the kitchen. Then to round out this week's podcast, we'll hear from Michael Simone, Driscoll's channel development manager. Michael chatted with us about Driscoll's focus on food service and how they're gearing up for one of the biggest berry days, Valentine's Day. Before we get to the mics, let's hear some market reports. Starting off with bell peppers, which are very tight to the east and south Florida. Growers are gapping between early and mid-season crops, and cooler temps have slowed growth and production. Quality is good with some bruising issues. Expect prices in the east to stay elevated for the next few weeks, as there are supplies crossing into the U.S. from Mexico, putting pressure on eastern growers. To the west, light supplies seem to be the case for green, yellow, and red bell peppers. Look for this market to increase as supplies are lighter. For our cruciferous veggies, the cold weather in the Yuma growing region is taking a toll on quality and supply. Broccoli prices continue to rise, and the cold is causing slight purpling. Brussels sprouts are also dealing with quality issues such as internal decay from the wet and cold. The cauliflower market is seeing the same trend as quality is fair and some suppliers are subsizing to fill orders. Lastly, kale, especially baby kale, is being hit the hardest with the freezing mornings. Quality is fair at best. Depending on the weather, this market could strengthen this week. Hopefully warmer weather is on the horizon, which will bring relief to all the cruciferous veg growing in Yuma. The story is pretty much the same for all lettuce varieties growing in Yuma. The cold is definitely slowing growth, and quality issues seem to be prevalent. For iceberg, quality issues include lightweights, bottom rot, and misshapen heads, and even some mildew. Industry-wide, demand exceeds supply for this commodity. For leaf varieties, particularly romaine, availability is much better than other leaf varieties. Like iceberg, romaine is seeing some quality issues such as mildew, tip burn, blister, epidermal peel, and slow growth. Red and green leaf are seeing these issues as well. Tender leaf varieties, particularly spinach and arugula, are struggling as well. Prices will continue to climb on these commodities and we'll keep you updated on the situation. Lastly, to round out our market reports, a little update on all of our berries. Good supply of blackberries and raspberries are in the pipeline, primarily coming out of central Mexico. Blueberries are hitting peak volumes out of Mexico and Peru, which will continue through January. Price is good as shippers are definitely wanting to move that volume. Blueberries are looking beautiful right now, a great time to feature them on your menu. To round out the berries are strawberries, which are being harvested out of three growing regions right now, California, Mexico, and Florida. California berries are showing great quality, especially compared to this time in 2019. In Mexico, cooler morning temps are on the horizon, but this is not expected to affect yields. In Florida, supplies have tightened a bit, with cooler than normal temps and sporadic rain. Overall, though, this market is in a decent spot in terms of supply and quality. That's all for Market Reports this week. Be sure to tune in next week for an update on a multitude of commodities. Moving now into our first interview, a short clip from my chat with Mike McLeod, President and CEO of the World Food Championships. I asked Mike quite a bit about the championships and how the competition is set up, but one thing stuck with me, the passion he has for wanting to applaud and showcase culinary professionals' hard work. 
I asked him, how does the World Food Championships benefit chefs? Here's what he had to say. So, Mike, tell me why would a chef want to be in the World Food Championships? How does this help them? I mean, are there benefits to competing? I mean, they can gain notoriety or they can, you know, hone in on technical skills. But elaborate on that a little bit for me. Uh, great question. I think there are, are very tangible benefits and then there are intangible benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, one of the intangibles is the, the spirit of the community. When, when you go to an event like this and you meet uh, up to 1,500 chefs that are on 500 teams uh, who speak your language, who know your challenges day to day, you, you all of a sudden find another family that you belong to. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the, the beautiful things that has come out of the championship that we, we never really uh, forecasted or expected. Um, the, the tangible things that are there is that obviously you have a chance to um, put your name on the culinary radar. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, television agents, a lot of um, brand, branding ambassador um, uh, divisions from companies, all in attendance, trying to figure out who's going to be the next hot celebrity chef. And we usually see, see them in the World Food Championships before you see them on TV. Uh, we've had 30 or 40 of our champions go on to success uh, in TV programs. It might be a one-show wonder where they, they beat Bobby Flay. Right. Uh, or it might turn out to be a series uh, like The Next Food Network Star or it may end up being a, a cameo appearance as a chef on a particular show. Uh, but that, that stuff is absolutely happening. The second tangible thing is that they can win money. They can win a lot of money. <laughs> um, the, the third thing is uh, they can be introduced to new companies and new products that they've never used before and strike up a relationship that is kind of a two-way street where they can take that back to their restaurant and, and show off a, a particular new trend or a new product mm-hmm. or a, a new dish that, that they hadn't thought of. Uh, and then secondly, possibly represent a particular brand uh, in their region, in their city, because a brand is trying to grow into that area. So there's, there's lots of true um, business reasons and pedigree reasons. Uh, and obviously, it doesn't hurt a chef's resume at all to be called a champion mm-hmm. chef because they uh, they were in the top ten of a category in the world, uh, or um, if if somehow some way they won, that that is even a, a better star on their resume. So, uh, lots of lots of benefits, some tangible, some intangible. Uh, and the other thing is, gosh, you get to eat you eat a lot of great food. <laughs> yeah, and you know. Um, just enjoy the company of, of people who are who are like you. Mike was definitely a blast to chat with, and I hope you will all tune in on Thursday to hear his full interview. It was my first time talking food sport, and now I suddenly have the urge to enter into a food competition. Next up, we'll hear from Driscoll's channel marketing manager, Michael DeSimone. Michael stopped by to discuss Driscoll's focus in food service. With more than 100 years of farming heritage and hundreds of independent growers around the world, Driscoll's is definitely passionate about growing great-tasting berries, and Michael is working hard to bring those berries to your dining experience. Let's take a listen. 
All right, guys, so we're sitting here with Driscoll's Channel Development Manager, Michael DeSimone. Michael, how are you doing? Great, Liz. Thanks for having me. Awesome. It's good to have you. And so today we want to talk about Driscoll's process and, um, you know, kind of looking ahead and looking at what you do. You said off the record your role is more focused on the food service side of Driscoll's. Tell me a little bit about that and tell me about your role. Tell me what you do at Driscoll's. Yeah, so um, we kind of decided based off of some data received from food service partners in the side of the industry that the away from home consumption moment is where consumers were spending more money on food uh, than the in-home consumption moment. So spending more money on berry dishes. Berry dishes is, is part of it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and we're hoping to increase that. That's, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, but really what we're trying to do is take more advantage of that away from home consumption moment. And in the past, you know, Driscoll's is very much a retail-focused, brick-and-mortar, grocery-focused company. Um, so most of that away-from-home moment, uh, eating moment, is serviced by uh, the food service channel. And so uh, the team that I'm on was stood up probably a year ago to take that on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are um, working hard to uh, work with customers like Proact to bring our fruit to that away-from-home consumption moment. Okay. Great. So um, you're talking about consumption away from home. Valentine's Day is a big holiday for food service and retail. It's also the biggest strawberry holiday, I would personally say. So talk about how chefs and distributors can prepare for that day. Yeah, it's it's funny that every year it's the biggest holiday for strawberries, and every year we don't have enough strawberries for it. Um, long stem strawberries, long stem strawberries, right? correct, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know that's that's always a challenge. But um, the exciting part this year, uh, you know, we we know that the chefs and a lot of our restaurant customers love to use those uh, beautiful stem strawberries, uh, mostly dipped in chocolate mm-hmm. on those kind of uh, gorgeous, you know, white plates. Um, and, and it's a really nice eating experience, kind of single berry eating experience, right? Um, the exciting part this year is we've decided as a company that we're going to prioritize uh, food service first. So, you know, if you get your orders in, um, in the past, you know, we've kind of been last to the last in line to get our orders filled on stem strawberries. It all goes to retail normally. It's, it's mostly going to retail and, and, you know, we, we tend to kind of fight over it and it ends up being a, a bigger hassle than anything. So mm-hmm. we've decided that with our new initiative and growing away from home consumption and a lot of chefs dipping strawberries and serving them in their restaurants away from home, mm-hmm. uh, it's a perfect opportunity for us to um, to take advantage of that and and prioritize our, our you know partner retail accounts. Yeah. Or well, excuse me, food service accounts. Okay. I have to say, I really love to cook and I'm a kind of a home chef, but dipping strawberries in chocolate is difficult. It's more difficult than people would think. And so I'd like to leave it up to the chefs too. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. So tell me about where Driscoll's is currently growing and the kinds of fruit that you're seeing out of those areas. I know Driscoll's has been growing their food service category, like you're saying, um, and part of that is being intentional about where commodities are grown. Yeah, so for um, what we call Dota, Driscoll's of the Americas, um, we're we're in really growing areas all over the U.S. Okay. Um, We're growing in Florida right now, um, but we also grow in California. Um, and then we go right up the East Coast, uh, Georgia, North Carolina. Um, we do a very little bit in New Jersey still. Um, and then we jump over to the, you know, the Pacific Northwest after the summertime. Um, the, you know, the exciting part about the future of growth uh, for Driscoll's 
is, you know, is probably Mexico um, and our Mexico growing area uh, servicing the U.S. during during that you know, winter time frame. Right. And um, we know all the, those growing areas I spoke about are servicing strawberries, raspberries, blueberries and blackberries. Um, most all of them conventional conventionally and organically grown. Wow, that's um, great. And so, you know, when you think about the future of Driscoll's, um, a lot of that growth is coming from our Mexico area. And mm-hmm. uh, and with a focus in terms of growth on the variety berries, um, raspberries, blueberries, and blackberries, also with a focus on organic berries. That's good. Um, so I have talked to a couple people in the industry, um, some people based um you know, in Mexico and not growing berries. They grow different commodities. They were talking about what do we say to people who think that Mexican grown or foreign grown product is lesser than U.S. grown? Because I've heard that that is kind of a common thing that keeps cropping up when people are trying to sell. What would you say to someone who says, oh, the berries grown outside of the U.S. aren't as good? Yeah, I, I you know I would I would disagree. Um, we go through rigorous quality and food safety standards uh, in Mexico just as we do in the in the U.S. Um, and and I feel very very confident that our teams down there are uh, putting forth uh, just as many hours into making sure the um, both the eating experience and the way that the product is handled is is appropriately um, uh, done, whether it's in Mexico or, or you know domestically. Great. Yeah, I uh, personally don't discriminate against any food, so uh, it doesn't matter where it's grown. Um, And lastly, as we've discussed, Driscoll's, you know, has an amazing product lineup. You said blackberries and blueberries. We all know. Um, How do you partner with chefs to implement berries? And what are some exciting ways you're seeing your products crop up on menus? Yeah, so... um you know, being a year into this new kind of venture, <laughs> um, we're honest, to be honest with you, we're still learning. Uh, I'm a year we, into produce too. So. Yeah, we, well, you know, and, and specifically food service, um, we have a lot to learn about how we can apply berries in the, in the menu. But, um, you know, we've done surveys recently and found that, um, you know, we've confirmed that shoppers do want to eat berries outside of their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've confirmed that they want to do that in, in restaurants mostly. That's the, you know, the biggest segment. Now we have to take that type of information and uh, we'll work with our uh, partner registered dietitian and chef mm-hmm. to develop menu options uh, that incorporate the different berries uh, that are associated with our different growing areas and time of the year. And you guys have a kitchen in your office in Watsonville, don't you? We do. We absolutely do. It's a big and beautiful kitchen and we have a lot of fun cooking there and testing the berries um, both raw fruit you know trialing mm-hmm. new varieties as well as uh, implementing them in um, uh, some some you know different dishes that are uh, that our chef is prepping up um, I unfortunately don't get a chance to enjoy those as much because I'm based <laughs> in New York so I get to hear about them more than anything but a big thank you to Michael and Driscoll's for taking the time to meet with us Remember to choose Driscoll's when you want fresh, beautiful, and delicious berries for your berry menu needs. That's all for this week, guys. Be sure to tune in Thursday to hear Mike McLeod's full food sport interview. You definitely don't want to miss it. Trust me. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Follow us on social media for recipe inspiration and tips and tricks. I hope you all have a great week. And as always, stay fresh.